All righty. Worship's good. I like singing to the Lord. Anybody like singing? I like singing. Amen. I need it. I need it. Um, we're going to be in Judges chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. So you want to get there? I'm going to go and read the passage and, uh, and jump in here. Judges 6, 25 to 35 says this, That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that, was, that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, which is laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring your son out, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by mourning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore on that day Gideon was called Jeroboam, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar." Now all the Midianites and Amalekites and all the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet that the Abizarites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh that they too were called up to follow him, and sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, Nephtali, and they too went up to meet them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, its challenge to our hearts, uh, its ability to convict us uh, by uh, the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and we just pray, Lord, uh, as these words are spoken over us today and over me today, Lord, that you would guide our hearts. Uh, Holy Spirit, we yield to you. We want your will in our lives. Uh, we want your will, Lord, to go forward in our lives. We have nothing to offer. <laughs> uh, we have nothing to offer, Lord, but praise um, in, in storms and in blessing. God, we offer you praise. We know you're a God of all gods, Lord over heaven and earth, creator of all things. And so we submit our lives to you. Uh, even when it's hard, even when we're messed up, God, we give everything we have to you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, so last week we started with Gideon. And as I mentioned, this is our Advent series, obviously, you know, Gideon, um, obvious Advent series. Uh, so, so we are looking at Gideon and a, a few aspects of Gideon and that we're comparing to Jesus. And so I'm going to go through this story with Gideon and then talk a little bit about it in comparison to Jesus and then challenge us uh, today from it. So uh, last week we looked at the fact that Gideon was called by the Lord, okay? Uh, called to go and do, do a purpose that the Lord had for him. And he was responsive to that call and followed the Lord. And, and today we're going to see Gideon's zeal in accomplishing what the Lord tells him to do. Gideon had a serious zealousy about him um, and, and something we need to grasp onto ourselves as we look at our lives and the idols that we may be building up within us. In the coming weeks, we're going to see uh, what Gideon's kingdom ended up looking like in comparison to the Lord's kingdom uh, and a number of things as we consider Gideon 
in contrast to the incarnation of Christ. But first, let's look at the story of Gideon, uh, and I'll go as briefly as I can, verses 25 to 35, to kind of talk through some things that are going on here, just to give us context of where we're starting with Gideon. Um, So, remember, Gideon was visited by an angel. The angel came to him and said, O mighty man of valor, right? I've called you to, to go and save your people from the Midianites. And Gideon kind of contests and goes like, I'm the weakest, I'm the, the weakest clan, I'm the weakest member, like why me? And the angel refuses to answer his questions and just says, go. I've told you to do this, so, so go in the strength that you know is, is yours through me. And so this uh, passage, verses 25 and following, is the first command, really the first action that the Lord tells Gideon to take. Um, and his first action to take is not to go to war, actually, right? Remember, his call from the angel was save your people from Midian, right? And the first thing he actually asked him to do is not to do with Midian at all. It's to do with his father's house. And so he says, the angel says, the Lord says to Gideon that night, that very night that he, that he showed up to him, he says, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. You might remember last week that Gideon's, con, uh, Gideon's question back to the angel was, why, Lord? Like, why have you let your people be, uh, be oppressed by Midian? You saved us from Egypt just for this? And the Lord didn't give him an answer. Because the Lord has already given an answer, actually. The Lord said, if you go into the land and serve the gods of the land, then my curses will come upon you, and you will be under the oppression of the people of the land. And so the first action that the Lord gives Gideon to take is to go to your father's house, to your dad's house, and, you know, take, take stock. Like, remember, and this is how deceptive it is, right? He didn't even realize there was a problem. He thought, well, the Lord should be showing up. We're his people. He didn't even realize there was a problem. The Lord had to say, you know, there's a Baal altar in your backyard and a pole to Asherah. Like, do you remember that in your dad's property? That's how deceptive it was, right? So he said, go to your father's house and, and take a bull and tear down these altars. Um, one thing I want to point out, we kind of went back and forth about this on uh, community group during the week. Um, there's, I've said this before, it's very difficult to, to translate Hebrew uh, because we're learning more about it more recently than we've actually ever known. Uh, so, like, we're much more advanced in our understanding of Greek than we are of Hebrew, and so we're constantly, there's lots of debates about, like, what words mean what and all this kind of thing, okay? So, uh, I was reading this week about a translation of this verse that makes a lot more sense to me than the actual translation that you have in your Bible, okay? In your Bible it says, uh, take your father's bull and a second bull, okay, and then it never refers to the first bull ever again, but only the second bull. And so uh, I want to point out real quick, so you get real, clarify this point. Um, the word for the second bull can also be translated something which is like a phrase we're not real, we're real, real familiar with, the bull of the bullocks. The bull of the bullocks, which is basically the prize bull. So instead of referring to two bulls in this initial statement, and then on through when it says second bull, he's actually saying, 
One bull. There's just one bull. The father's bull. He's describing it three times, three adjectives. This bull is your father's bull. It's the best bull. Not the second one. It's the best bull. Your father's bull, the best bull, the one that's seven years old. It's mature. Okay, so instead of understanding it as two bulls that, you know, one we don't know what happens to, it's actually one bull with a lot of description. Uh, I found that very helpful to me as I was, like, working through this. So he gives a threefold description of this bull. Everybody knows this bull is the best bull of your dad's. It's your dad's, and also it's seven years old. Like, it's mature. It's fully grown. It's ready. You know, it could be slaughtered any time. You know, it's ready, okay? Um, so take that prize bull of your dad's that's the best and pull down the altar of Baal and pull down the Asherah pole of Baal. And then with the wood from the Asherah, verse 26, go ahead and build an altar with the wood you just, you know, like chopped down and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there. And with stones laid in due order, take the prized bull, not the second bull, the, this prized bull, and offer it as a burnt offering with wood of the Asherah that you just cut down. So the first instruction that Gideon has in his quest, right, his mission, his goal to go and defeat the Midianites was actually to tear down the idols of his own people. This is the first action he has to take. And what we have from this is that he was obedient. Verse 27, it says, So Gideon took ten of his men, uh, ten men of his servants, and did as the Lord told him to do. Uh, he did it at night, um, so that the men of the town, uh, because he was afraid of the men of the town, he did it by night. Um, we don't get any condemnation of Gideon for his fear of the people. Uh, we should actually like flip it on its head and think about this, right? The people were so devoted. These are Israelites. Their granddad walked across a dry bed of a river into the land, okay? And their great-granddad walked across the dry land of the Red Sea into the wilderness, leaving Egypt. Okay, this is their heritage. And so these great-grandsons and daughters of the people who left Egypt these, great, these grandsons and granddaughters of the people who crossed the Jordan have now so devoted themselves to Baal and Asherah that Gideon is afraid they will come kill him if they see him doing this. So let's think about it that way. He's fearing for his life because we are so devoted to the gods of the land instead of our God in heaven that we would kill a man if he takes down this idol. That's some serious devotion to a God who isn't a God. And so he is obedient. And sure enough, the next day, verse 28, when the men of the town arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and a second bull, that is the prize bull, um, was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, verse 29, Who has done this thing? And after they searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, son of Joash, has done this thing. I don't know the efforts of their inquiry, what they did. Just, you know, it's a small community, I assume. Found blood on his hands, found maybe the bullhorns. I don't know what they did, but they found out who did it. Um, verse 30. Then the men of the town said to Joash, 
Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal, and cut down the Asherah beside it. And I, um, I love this moment. I, I think this is a great moment in the story. Um, because Joash, like think about this, Joash is well enough represented in the community that he is the one that has the altar to Baal and Asherah. He has property that is in the stronghold that is significant to them in terms of like staying safe from Midianites and this kind of thing, right? So he is respected in his community and he's the one with his altar. I don't know what's like, what's convicted him, like where his heart's at. If it's just out of like support of his son or if the Lord has quickened his heart to say this, but he responds rightly. It's like, uh, oh yeah, what are we doing? You know, like, he sees what has happened. His son has cut down this altar, and he goes, right. I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm an Israelite. I worship the one true God. Like, maybe, maybe we should see if Baal shows up. Like, there's some questions about the power of Baal right now in his mind. There's also his son who might die, you know, in the, in the sentencing here or whatever. So it's a powerful moment. Joash says to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will it save him? Whoever contends to him, for him shall be put to death by morning. If he, if he is a god, then let him contend for himself, for his altar has been broken down. If he's truly this powerful god that we worship, guys, like how did, his, how did someone come by night and destroy it? He should have smote them. He is God, right? He's the god, the Baal is the god of the storm. He was to bring water and rain and through powerful storms. If he is such a God, why didn't he strike him? So he says, let Baal contend for Baal. And therefore on that day, Gideon was now called Jeroboam. That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he broke down his altar. Um, right after this, kind of what we were anticipating from the beginning of this, that the, you know, Gideon is in the wine press, hiding from the Midianites because they're coming to steal their grain and all this. Uh, the Midianites show up. Verse 33. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East came together. And, and what are they going to do? They're going to come and steal all the produce, uh, feed their animals. You know, we saw this from the beginning of chapter 6. They cross over the Jordan and camp in the Valley of Jezreel. They're surrounding Gideon and his, uh, his people. Verse 34. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Again, we've kind of noted throughout this that there are some who like to cast the judges in a, in a poor light and say these are flawed men and uh, they're, they're actually always operating for their own interests and Lord just, you know, whatever. He did it in spite of them completely. And I just want to tell you that Gideon's in the hall of faith. Okay? This isn't just some randomly chose guy. He has faith in the one true God. And God sees that faith. And the Spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon. I'm not saying he earned his salvation in any way. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, a lot of times we look at these judges and say, these are a bunch of messed up dudes that did everything wrong. And I'm here to tell you, I think Gideon did some things right. Okay? I think Gideon listened when the angel showed up. I think Gideon obeyed the word that the Lord gave him to do in spite of how like how much risk was at, at play, he could be killed for what he did, and he did it, okay? 
And we're going to see him tested again in the, next, in the next week. And I just challenge you, the word, the Bible, does not judge Gideon for a lack of faith. Okay? He, he isn't perfect. I, I will give you that. He's not perfect. None of us are. He is a, he is a man. He is, uh, falls short of what it is to be pure and holy, for sure. And I think we can all kind of raise our hands and say we're there too, right? Yeah? And so instead of like looking down on him in this way, let's like try and catch what he's catching. He's catching the presence of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord clothes Gideon. He is with him in this. And Gideon has just, all he's done is been obedient to what the Lord asked him to do and walked in that. Even if it was hard. And so the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon and he sounded the trumpet and the Abyssalites were called to follow him, and he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too call, were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they also went up to meet him. Um, I like this point too, pointed out on, on Wednesday. I like that Asher is in this list. Asher was not, did not come up to arms during Deborah and Barak, but he, they do come to this battle. Okay, so there's like, there's some... some dynamics going on, you know, like it's fluid. People are changing. People are wooed by what the Lord is doing. So, um, all right, so this is the story of Gideon and, uh, and the Baal and Asherah uh, that he tore down. Uh, pretty, pretty cut and dry. Pretty cut, cut and dry story. The Lord, the Lord told him to do it. He did it, okay, at the risk of his life. And his life was spared, and now he became known as the person that cut down this Baal and Astra. And the people rallied to him. They fought against Midian. Um, and this is, this is awesome. Um, so the thing I want to point out here is that Midian was zealous. Okay? When he realized it was the Lord, right? Like last week, he built an altar and said, The Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. In spite of the fact that he knew Midianites were surrounding them, going to take all their food, he's hiding in a wine press to tread out the grain, okay? He knew the Lord was with him at that point. And so now the Lord says, go, do this. And he's willing to do it. He was convicted, right? He was convicted in his heart that if the Lord says we need to tear down the Baal and Astra, we need to tear down the Baal and Astra. Like, this is... What do we do? Like, what do we do? How did we, how did this happen? How did my dad build an Asherah pole in my backyard? How how do we have an altar to Baal in my backyard? Gideon is willing to be zealous for what the Lord tells him to do and to step into it boldly. Um, As we compare Gideon to Jesus, I really think he's a forerunner. He's pointing forward to a true Savior, a perfect Savior. Um, And in this season, when we're thinking about Jesus coming, we have to remember that Jesus didn't like stay an in like stay just like a baby in a manger his whole life. You know what I mean? Like he grew up, (laughs) and when he grew up and stepped into his ministry, he wasn't just like singing kumbaya. You know what I mean? We kind of have this picture sometimes of Jesus, and it's just it's all happy and easy and no challenging words, just like happy thoughts and good miracles, right? Is like Jesus. And that's not it. Like, that's not the whole picture, 
right? Jesus is zealous. And he's zealous in a few ways. I want to point out these few ways that I think the zeal of Jesus comes out in his ministry. Jesus is zealous for his Father's will in his life. He is zealous for it. He is completely sold out committed to his Father's will in his life. He is zealous for his Father's way of justice. He is zealous for it. He will die on that hill for justice in his Father's way. And he is zealous for the presence of God with his people. He is absolutely sold out for it. He is zealous for it. First, he's zealous for his Father's will in his life. Just think about it. I don't have any verses to, to point you to in this. I'm just going to like step back and think about this. He is zealous for the Lord's will in his life. The story of Jesus in his 30s, from like 30 to 33, right? Take beginning at 30 to dying at 33 on a cross. Started with temptation in the wilderness. Challenged by Satan to bow to Satan's will, to be given all power and authority, whatever lie Satan wanted to tell, right? And he stood against it with the power of God's word. Three times. Time and time again. He said, I don't care what you offer me. I'm here to do my Father's will. It doesn't matter how good you make it sound. I'm here to do what God told me to do. So I'm going to do that. That's the start of his ministry. And ends with him bleeding tears in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? Like, think about that bookend of Jesus' life. Tempted by Satan himself after fasting for 40 days in a desert. Ending alone after miracle upon miracle, powerful teaching, ending alone in Gethsemane with his disciples falling asleep, bleeding tears of obedience to the Father's will. Jesus is zealous to do what God told him to do. He has counted the cost, and he's stepping into it. He is zealous for the will of the Father in his life. Second, he's zealous for the Father's way of justice. A number of stories that he tells, uh, primarily I found these from Matthew 18 to 20, uh, but the first one that came to mind for me was Matthew 18, 5 to 6. He is zealous for justice for the vulnerable. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whatever causes one of these little ones to believe who believe in me, it will be better for him, uh, sorry, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depth of the sea. Jesus says, if you people who know who the Lord is would cause my children to sin. This is what would be better for you. He's zealous uh, for justice in, in a different way, too. He's zealous for justice in, our, in the way of our forgiveness. Um, you remember the parable of the unforgiving servant in chapter 18, a little further down. Um, a master comes to a servant, he's begging for relief from a debt. 
And the master finally says, relents and relieves his debt. And then just the next day, that very same servant is found another servant of his. So he's like a middleman, right? And he challenges that man to give him his money or he's going to kill him. Recognize how much forgiveness you've received and extend the forgiveness in the same way. He's zealous for the Father's way of justice, and this one doesn't make sense to us because we like to like measure things out. Who deserves what? The parable of the laborers in the vineyard. There's all these laborers that line up for work, right? They're sitting at the work office. One gets called at 8, one gets called at 10, one gets called at noon, one gets called at 2, one gets called at 4. At the end of the day, what happens? <laughs> what do you say? All right. They all get paid the same. <laughs> they all get paid the same. This is the Lord's justice. Is it okay with you? <laughs> Jesus is zealous for us to forgive as we have been forgiven for us to extend grace to the very last moment, right? Not counting it as some sort of inaccuracy in the Lord's justice. He is zealous for this way of justice. And finally, he's zealous for uh, his Father's presence with his people. John 2, 13-17, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple he found those sitting, selling oxen, sheep, and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there. And he made a whip of cords, and he drove them all out of the temple with sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned the tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that, and it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Further, he said, uh, in his woes to the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is like the first thing I thought of when I was thinking about Jesus' zeal, how often and regular and pretty much every time Jesus interacted with the Pharisees, Sadducees, or the law, uh, the people of the law, uh, teachers of the law, it was with rebuke. And so in Matthew, he gives actually eight different rebukes, woes uh, to them, and one of them is this. Matthew 23, 16 to 22. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if he swears by the gold of the temple, it is bound by an oath. You blind fools. For which is greater, the gold of the temple that has made the, or the gold of the temple or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And if you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by the oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple, swears by it and him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Jesus is zealous for the presence of the Father with his people. He says, look at this temple I've given you. It's supposed to represent that I am here with you. And now you are valuing the gold inside this temple more than me. You're valuing 
the, the gift that you bring more than the altar that I have given you. These things are meant to show you that I am with you, that I am present, that I am here. And you've counted them for yourselves. Jesus was zealous. He was ready to tear down some altars. He was ready to go against the idols of the people. And so we have to take this challenge as we walk away from this passage of Gideon and as, as, as well as we reflect on the coming of Jesus to earth. So I've got two things, uh, two questions I want to ask us as we close. And the first is this. How are we remembering who the Lord is and what the Lord has done? How are we remembering who he is and what he's done? Gideon remembered some things, right? Gideon remembered something about the Lord and about his people. Judges 6, verse 13. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if, it, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon didn't realize. Again, we don't, we just, it's like amazing how deceptive it is. And this is true today. Gideon didn't realize how far his family had fallen from following the Lord. There were physical idols built in his backyard to Baal and Asherah. And he listened to the grace of the Lord. He would have the audacity to say to the Lord as he shows up to him. He'd say, why, Lord, do you forsake us? He didn't even answer him in the moment, right? He didn't even say. He didn't say in the moment anything. He didn't rebuke him. He just said, okay, just obey me. Can we just start with obedience for a second? Would that be all right? Lord, why aren't these things happening? And the first instruction he gives Gideon is to destroy his father's idols and replace it with an altar to the Lord. The reason the Lord has let the Midianites come in is exactly the reason the Lord had told them the Midianites would come in. If you go into this land and you do not conquest it, as I tell you to do, remove these people, you will become servants of their gods. And sure enough, it became true. And so Gideon shouldn't have the question, why, O oh Lord, have you forsaken us? Because what has actually happened is the reverse. The Lord is saying, I haven't forsaken you. I'm doing actually what I told you I would do when you forsake me. And so Gideon remembers, but he only remembers in part. And what happens when we don't remember, when we don't commit to memory what the Lord has done in our lives, how the Lord has fought our battles, okay? We like to, like, see the battles, and we're like, yeah, that was awesome. Those were the good times. Remember when that happened? That was powerful, and we were part of it. And then we just forget to say it was the Lord. <laughs> and start to pat ourselves on the back and say, man, we had a really good ministry going there. We did a really good job organizing people. 
we were really good at preaching and praying and singing. We did a really good job. What a beautiful place we built. We are great. And that's how deceptive it is. Because it sounds okay. It sounds so normal in our culture to be proud of what we've done. And listen, you can have confidence. You can be proud of what you've done. But man, if you don't in your heart and, and like really know that what you have, all you have, every opportunity has come from the hand of the Lord who made you, then you haven't remembered what God has done. And there's an idol stirring up in your heart as a result. If we don't remember what the Lord has done, we will build idols in our hearts. They might not be of wood and stone, but we will start building these things in our hearts and go, wow, I was really good. I'm really proud of myself. I did a really good job. I'm real good. I'm good. I'm doing a good job. I'm so good, especially in compared to those people. I'm real good because they're not near as good as, like, see how quick we start this game in our hearts. And all of a sudden, we've got Baal and Asherah, like, competing inside of our hearts of, like, good and evil, and I'm better than everybody else. So quick. If we don't remember, Right? We have to remember. That's why it's so good to like know your testimony. Like, I'm not going to ask you to do this right now, but I am going to ask you this question. If I asked you today, like literally today, if I said, hey, can you come give your testimony of how you came to know Jesus? Would you be able to do it? Just keep it in your heart. <laughs> do you remember how the Lord found you where you were and brought you to where you are. Do you remember? So important to know what the Lord has done and to, to write it on your heart and in your mind that this wasn't me. Like, I had no part in this. The Lord in His strength, the Spirit of the Lord clothed me and then we went forth to follow Him. And so we have to ask ourselves, if we haven't remembered the Lord, are we building up idols? And do we have idols in our hearts? Are there any bales or astras in our hearts that we need to tear down? And I'll ask, it, I'll ask that question, are there any idols in our hearts that need to be torn down in response to Jesus' life and ministry? Do we want God's will from beginning to end? Or do we want our will? Because if we're here living for our will, then we've got an idol. We're doing what we want instead of what the Lord wants. And so we have to have the same zealous commitment to God's will that Jesus had. Man, strive after that level of commitment. Yeah, whatever's offered me, I don't care. I know what the Lord has told me to do. I'm going to do it. Right? When all my friends run away when I'm struck, I think I'm going to still do it. That's the commitment God is calling us to as we follow His will. Second, 
Are we quick to receive forgiveness, but slow to give it? Man, if we like to have forgiveness, but don't like to give it, then we might have some idols building up in our hearts. Yeah, I deserve forgiveness, but I don't know if they do. They're kind of rough, so, you know. You might have some idols in your heart building up, some legalism, some comparison going on in your heart that somehow stacks you up better against other people and creates this, like, workspace mentality in your head. Well, I got saved because I'm better. It's like, (laughs) no, (laughs) no. You got saved because of Jesus, and that's it. Doesn't matter what time you came, beginning, end of your life, doesn't matter if you're a murderer or, you know, just a, just a run-of-the-mill hypocrite, right? Like, it doesn't matter. The Lord saved you, not you. Are we quick to receive forgiveness but slow to give it out? Be challenged by the Lord's zealous nature. Are we setting a good example in our homes and in our church? Or are we leading our children to sin? Often I think about that passage um, earlier and go like, yeah, for sure I wouldn't lead my kids to sin. Like, I'm not going to lead them to sin. That'd be terrible, right? That'd be horrible. But if you don't follow the Lord's will, can we not? I'm so thankful for the Lord's grace because I'm not a perfect dad at all. I didn't have coffee yesterday afternoon and I was... Not a great spirit <laughs> to be around. <laughs> uh, we also lost text, but yes, that was not it. That was not it. I was, yeah. Anyway, like, you know, right? When you're in your home, you're not around all these other people, putting on a face of, like, we're around people, we're being nice, all this kind of thing, okay? Man, am I leaning on the Lord's grace with that? Are we setting a good example in our, in our homes, in our church, to lead our children towards sin? Are we setting good patterns for our kids, like, to see what it is to follow the Lord, to see what it is to walk in grace, to see what it is to strive for holiness, like, all these things. Finally, um, do we have the same zeal for the Lord's presence as Jesus had for his people? Are we trusting our experience and accomplishments over and against the presence of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. And all that is done through Gideon was done by the presence of the power uh, of the Lord. And so we got to look at ourselves and go, he was clothed. And I don't know if there's like an exact difference here or whatever. I think there might be. Um, He was clothed with the Spirit of the Lord. You are filled with the Spirit of the Lord. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes full residence inside you. Are you acting like that? Am I acting like that? Lord, help us. Help us listen to Holy Spirit that these idols might not come up in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful Uh, for this story of Gideon, and we're so thankful for his zeal to do your will. We thank you that he recognized that you were there and that he went in obedience to do what you called him to do, even though it was very difficult. 
to tear down his dad's statues in his yard and to chop them up and burn them with his prized bull unto the Lord. We look back at it and know it was the right decision, but man, God, I can't imagine being that son, being Gideon. And so, Lord, we pray that we would have the same zeal for our lives being devoted to you. God, we pray, um, man, if there are idols we're building up, unforgiveness, bitterness, pride, um, selfishness, self-indulgence, all these things, God, that we can just like so quickly let, let build and grow and justify them in our hearts and let them control our lives. God, Lord, we pray you would help us to tear down the idols. Lord, put our desires and comforts of life in their proper place. Lord, we know that you've created joy and, and goodness, and you, you made the sun, moon, and stars. You made beautiful trees and beaches and mountains. You made things to be enjoyed. You made life to be enjoyed, relationships to be enjoyed. And God, forgive us when we make, um, yeah, when, when we make other stuff more important than what you've given. Help us to enjoy what you've given in the right context in context to a submission to Lord Jesus. Lord, pray that we would be zealous for your will in our lives. So God, if there's any idol in our hearts, we pray you'd tear it down. We pray you'd convict us with the Holy Spirit of our sin. That we would confess it to a brother or sister and, and be, um, be found, be known. Be received into your arms of grace. And Lord, I pray if there's unforgiveness that we're holding on to, that we'd let it go. That we know that we're all equal at the foot of the cross. And Lord, I pray that um, we would remember what you've done. Man, that we would have just a clear memory of our history with you. Not just like general church history or whatever, like national history even is great, and that's fine. But man, that we would know our history with you, Lord Jesus. And that we could testify to it at any time of what you have done, what you are doing in the entirety of our lives, last week, today, Lord, that we could testify to your glory and might in our lives. God, help us be careful not to take credit for things you've accomplished. And Lord, help us to be zealous for your presence. Help us to cherish moments like this where we get to spend time in your word with our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and times we get to sing praises to you, God, and, and give you really all we have. We don't come with gold, we don't come with a prime bull, Lord. We, we come with a praise of hallelujah. It's all we have to offer.
It's the best we have to offer. And so, God, we pray that, that your will would be done in our lives. Thank you for Gideon. Thank you for the story of his zeal. Thank you for Jesus and his full uh, commitment to your will, to your justice, God, to your way of living. May we seek to model our lives after Christ. May we not be discouraged that that's impossible to accomplish. <laughs> but may we be compelled to strive for it because it is a worthy striving to follow Jesus. Until the day we see him face to face and the veils are moved and we see him as we see one another face to face. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this body of believers. And I pray, Lord, you would be building stories in their hearts of what you've done. Help them remember what you've done. God, you are faithful. God, I, for one, testify that I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm so grateful. Because it means I'm completely dependent on you. And so I thank you for that, God. You are my peace. You are the only source of peace. And so, God, I can testify that you've been faithful when answers cannot be seen. And you've been a provider when money doesn't seem like it's coming in. And you have extended grace when I've been a punk. And so, God, I pray that as we look forward and as we cannot predict what the next day is, I pray we will be able to say that every day is the day the Lord has made, and in that I will rejoice. And, Lord, tear down the idols of our hearts. We may worship you with all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.